This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom and Mind. I'm perinatal psychologist and host, Dr. Kat. There's more to the story than just postpartum depression, and this podcast aims to share it all. From personal stories and lived experience to experts who break down the ups and downs of life from getting pregnant, pregnancy, perinatal loss, and postpartum adjustment to parenthood. While this is not psychotherapy or medical advice, it is all of the stuff you ever wanted to know about mental health and new parenthood. Welcome back to the Mom and Mind podcast. I am your host, Dr. Kat, and I am very glad that you're with us. I am excited to announce and let everyone know that we are moving back to weekly episodes. So now every Monday, you're going to be able to hear from a new person, whether it's a personal story or a therapist or therapists or experts in the field or people who are contributing to perinatal mental health or maternal health causes in some way or another. It's been years since we've been able to do weekly episodes, and now I'm so glad that I get to be doing them weekly again. We did weekly episodes for about three years when I started the podcast. After that three years, uh, it was a little difficult to keep it going, so we went to every other week. But now I have enough support that I am able to do these episodes weekly. So really glad that you're with us, and be sure to tune in weekly and also share these episodes so that other people can know that they are not alone. So now for today's episode, getting into this really rich and important conversation, I'm so glad that I met the therapist from Family Tree Wellness at the Postpartum Support International Conference, and I wanted them to come on to talk about this different take on perinatal mental health conditions, but also a very important one one that helps expand our idea and definition of how we are affected after pregnancy and the transition into motherhood, but also during the whole perinatal process. Our guests today, Rebecca Gashuri and Jessica Sorcy, are both licensed marriage and family therapists, internal family systems therapists, and also perinatal mental health certified. As co-founders of Family Tree Wellness in Silicon Valley, California, Rebecca and Jessica lead their one-of-a-kind, IFS-informed group psychotherapy practice that provides counseling, education, and support for people who are in the family-building phase of life. 
They are wildly enthusiastic about creating trainings and supporting other therapists who want to deepen their knowledge and skill with using internal family systems and working in reproductive mental health. Most importantly, they are mothers on their own healing journeys who bring their own personal experience with grief and growing mixed with creative expression and spirituality to their work. Their goal is nothing short of healing humanity's intergenerational burdens. Today, they are going to share with us why they believe that perinatal mood and anxiety disorders need to be redefined, and they'll tell us what that means. They talk to us about using internal family systems, a type of psychotherapy, and why they believe and think and see that it does work with a perinatal mental health population. And they're also going to talk about the mother-centric approach to therapy and training that they are offering for therapists. So this episode is loaded with a really great conversation and good things for us to all be thinking about and ideas on how we can expand our idea of perinatal mental health and how it's impacting folks. So let's dive in and meet Rebecca and Jessica. Welcome Rebecca and Jessica. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having us. It's a joy. I'm excited to get to talk to two people. It's often only one, but I do find there's just such a richness that comes with having multiple perspectives, even though you guys are going to be talking about the same thing with us. Certainly, we're all still who we are. So I'm happy to hear what you guys are into these days, specifically talking about the mother-centric approach and internal family systems. But before we get into those details, I would love to understand how you got into the specific work within the perinatal world. Yeah, gosh, there's so much we could say here. I think Rebecca and I each have our own personal stories about why we're interested in in motherhood and in working with new moms that taps into our histories with our own moms, with being the babies of women who struggled in their own ways, and then having children ourselves and and walking through the challenges that surprised us with motherhood. But as far as the mother-centric approach and IFS, that's been very honestly earned or come by sort of creation. I started getting into IFS a few years ago now, maybe five years ago. And when I first started integrating that knowledge into my life, I knew there would be some way that it would intersect with my interest and expertise in reproductive mental health, but I couldn't for the life of me figure out how. They just seem like two kind of distinct bodies of knowledge. And I used it with my clients behind closed doors, but as far as formulating some larger perspective, I I just had no clue. I was scratching my head and thinking, well, maybe it'll be born naturally at some point. And over time, Rebecca also became an IFS therapist and she and I are BFFs and BPFs, which stands for best partner forever. (laughs) Very cheesy, but we're super close and we work together on the, the daily and just our conversations and our work with each other in our own difficult moments as leaders of family tree wellness and in our personal lives and mothering, and we bring it all out together. We integrate IFS when we sit sit in the room together and work on our own hearts and souls. And it just started happening. And the mother-centric approach is really a marriage of all the things we know about matrescence, the developmental phase of motherhood, new motherhood, patriarchy, which just has to be factored in because we really understand it to be one of the primary toxicities in our world 
for for everyone. And then IFS, because it's such a natural and holistic and useful and healing way of working with the parts that come up in new motherhood around inner critics and shame, which we, we really have noticed in our work with moms that those are two gigantic leaders in the system of new moms in a patriarchal culture. So IFS is just really tuned for healing shame and understanding inner critics. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. Rebecca, yeah, I would love to hear what this was like for you to come into this specialty. Yeah, I come to it from a little bit of a different angle, I guess. I mean, I don't know if it's really a different angle or not, but how I conceptualize it is really from the angle of grief. I have had loss in my life. My mom had a loss before she had me. Mm -hmm. And the way that that has sort of shaped my perception of who I am and, and my, the way that I go about my day, the things that I think about when I became a mom, I realized that there was so much disenfranchisement, that there's so much loss in new motherhood, and we're not really allowed to talk about it. We sort of have to hide it. How we have to hide so much about what we're actually feeling, mm. and that that's not okay to be really a human. And so all of that has sort of informed Jinning what is really going on in the world with moms. I mean, if really you're looking at 20% of new moms, that's like 17 million moms who are quote unquote sick, mm-hmm. right? And Jessica and I just started having these conversations behind closed doors, you know, like, is that really true? Are they really sick? And I don't know, it, it's a bold position to take because we're kind of butting up against a lot of what our very knowledgeable feminist people who are just like us, who are really trying to get out into the world that there's something wrong. I think we're both doing the same thing, but what we're trying to do is take some of the blame off of the mom. The mom is not the identified patient. Mm -hmm. The system really is the identified patient. And so bringing that grief out into the open has been, I think what's really been driving me for the past, I'm going to say 18 years, because my oldest daughter is 18. And so I've been thinking, well, and probably even before that, because I started thinking about it when I was trying to get pregnant and having miscarriages and all of that. So that's sort of where I'm coming from. Great. Thank you both for sharing that. It's really helpful. I think the the, the podcast listeners are kind of a, a mix of therapists and, and people who are seeking understanding or going through something themselves. So again, just to bring in the the reality that we're we're all on some level dealing with something uh, yes. is is re- really helpful, and it's it's useful to hear how even though we've only heard just a couple of minutes, but how individual life experience within the the, the system that you're describing is impacted. And it's while some themes are pretty similar, it's still everybody comes comes to 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 whatever it is they're dealing with on their own path. That's right. So there's a couple of things just for again for people who might not understand terms if if I could have you guys define just a couple of things. One is what is internal family systems if you can, if you can put it briefly if possible. Sure. Yeah, it's a model, a therapeutic model that's evidence-based 
Richard Schwartz is the creator of it. And essentially, it, it taps into the belief that we are multitudes, that we are not one unitary personality, but rather lots of different parts of ourselves. And a really simple way of understanding it is saying like, I had one part that was so ecstatic this morning to come on this podcast and excited to meet you, Kat, and share time with Rebecca. And I had at least one other part that was like terrified (laughs) and one that was kind of waking me up way too early going, wait, are you going to be able to answer those questions? And you're not sleeping very well. Are you going to be bright enough? So like anxious Mm -hmm. parts or critics that are aware of another part of me that holds some shame from earlier in life when I was small and had experiences of feeling like I wasn't enough or I was unworthy or there was something wrong with me. And so IFS looks at those distinct parts as coexisting, as being part of a system inside. And then there, it's developed a way of, or it is a developed way of approaching those parts in a really non-judgmental, respectful, curious, compassionate manner so that you can inquire and understand and build relationships with even the the nasty parts, so to speak, the ones that are unwanted that create the burst of adrenaline or the feeling of shame and get to know them and understand that at the core, they're all well-intentioned, that they all developed adaptively to try to help you in terms of protective parts. The ones that hold the shame are more, they're called exiles and they're not here to do something. They're more like stuck in time with burdens and false beliefs from childhood generally. Mm. So the work in in a broad sense, this is not as brief as perhaps you hoped, but the work is to be able to get into some of that exiled pain and unburden it and release it. Mm -hmm. The other thing I think I would add about that is that the other thing that IFS really holds as a fundamental belief is that we're all born good, right? We're all born with a, a self with a capital S that is whole and pure. And we'll talk about the eight C's, which are compassion, curiosity, creativity, calm. Help me out here, Jess. Clarity, um, connectedness. Clarity, connectedness. Creativity. Um, yeah, we have them all in our wall in our office, <laughs> you know, but those are sort of the embodiment of self and it really can't be damaged. And the parts that come up to are there to protect that self, right? So that's their good intention. They're there to protect you in some way. And by the building an internal relationship from the parts to the self, that's really where the healing is because we can't really rely on somebody outside of us to take care of that for us. It's We heal in relationship as well because we butt up against our partner's parts as well. Mm -hmm. And so they sort of trigger us and and Dick Schwartz calls that our tour mentors, right? So they're actually mentoring us. But that is to me really powerful that that actually is there no matter what happened to you, because you can't change the past, but you can change your relationship to it, right? I know Mm -hmm. that sounds a little cliche. We've heard it before, but it's true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Thank you. That's incredibly helpful. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? 
If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Ko, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. So So Rebecca, there was another term that you used, identified patient. If you could explain what that means to the listeners. Yeah, that's a a term that therapists have sort of been taught to use, that when somebody comes into the office, they're the identified patient or in a family system, there's one person who is the problem. And in terms of reproductive mental health, what we're talking about is the mom being the problem in a lot of contexts. And sometimes when we diagnose somebody with a perinatal mood and anxiety disorder, they become the one that's blamed for the stuff that's going on, right? When really more, and and again, this is kind of a bold position to take, right? But that she really is suffering most likely because she doesn't have support. Mm -hmm. She doesn't have resources. She has had a really tough childhood. I mean, the list goes on, right? Maybe some birth trauma, difficulty breastfeeding, maybe a colicky baby, maybe a partner who works 70 hours a week. Exactly, exactly. And maybe a pregnancy that was unwanted, Mm -hmm. right? And still had to go through with it for some reason. And the the sperm donor, I'll just call them, Mm -hmm. is not in the picture, right? Or doesn't want to be. And so there's just such a myriad Mm -hmm. ways that people become the identified patient. Right. So that that's the person that is coming to us or, or in our office or going to their doctor and saying that they don't feel right, don't feel themselves. They need they need help and support. But that's I right. think what you're also saying is that if if all the systems were were working in an in a better way, I'll just say, yeah. that were more supportive than e- either she wouldn't have this challenge or maybe even it would be a lot less. Yeah. And maybe, maybe she would still have challenges because obviously there are also a lot of hormonal things that happen postpartum and just during matrescence, but she wouldn't necessarily have to suffer. Mm-hmm. And, and I just sort of take the fundamental belief that we don't have to suffer through life, you know, sure. We can, we can do things that are hard, but 
we don't actually have to suffer through them. Yeah. Jessica has something to say. <laughs> so you're I to add. Yeah. I think that what, what would be more accurate is to see her as a, more of a hero that yes, she's got some, some difficult feelings coming up, some, probably some physical discomfort. Emotions are huge. She's adjusting to a new role. She's revisiting experiences from her own early life because she's so wide open. We talk about there being a perinatal portal where your, your own attachment templates are referenced when you have a baby. So whatever happened to you in your, in your attachment history is going to be coming up when you have a baby. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the fact that she was able to host and grow and birth and then maybe feed a new life and form a relationship with that baby and figure out how to navigate her own material from her perinatal portal, deal with all of the intense hormonal shifts. That's actually heroism. And I, I wish, and I'm striving and hoping, and Rebecca is too, for a culture that sees that as a massive feat to, to almost revere rather than diagnose. When it looks difficult, because it is difficult, and the, the mom comes in and says, I'm struggling or I'm having anxiety, I'm having some intrusive thoughts, or I'm feeling really down or alone, or I'm ha- having shame or sense of perfectionism, and I'm not hitting those marks that we wouldn't say, okay, here's your diagnosis. Here's your medication. We're all hoping you get better so that you don't hang things up for your partner any further, or like you can get back to work or whatever it is. I mean, I understand that we need that sometimes. And Rebecca gets it too. Medication is sometimes critical. Moms need to function. Families need to be able to get the food on the table and get the kids off to school and get to work. But the identified patient piece is really pinning the the onus on mom. In some way, she's failed. It's a faulty system in her. She's depressed. She's got a diagnosis now. And we just we just don't think that bears truth in the bulk of the moms we see. And in our own experience, I'll say for myself, I know that I easily could have been given a diagnosis. I was offered medication. And those were kind people that looked at me through those eyes and approached me with those ideas postpartum, but I knew I wasn't sick. I knew there wasn't something fundamentally wrong with me. I was having a hard time because it was a really difficult job and I didn't have a supportive setup. And if those things had been attended to differently, I wouldn't have been looked at as the sick one. And so something about that really stuck with me, even though I'm 13 years postpartum now. I felt insulted by that. I felt like something vital got missed. And so that's a big piece of my energy around wanting to redefine PMADS. Yeah. I think I would also add, like, it feels like there's a little bit of gaslighting going on, right? That there are moms and women who, who really do believe that they're broken or sick, but it's really not coming from inside of them, right? They're kind of get they're like big sponges and they're marinating in this narrative that they are broken or sick. And so they internalize it and then they begin to believe it. And I mean, I've I've got several clients who, who feel that way. And so our work is really around learning to trust themselves and finding their inner wisdom by doing this parts work, right. And working with the part that is so critical and is blaming and shaming them for really just doing what 
they were doing, (laughs) birthing a baby or having a really hard time getting pregnant. Those things are really challenging. And I just think we have to acknowledge them differently and not, not place the blame on moms. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, I thank you for, for digging into that a bit. So in in terms of very specifically having perinatal mood or anxiety disorders redefined. So in terms of redefining perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, I don't know if the right question is, well, what, what would you call it instead? Or are there specific things that you, uh, additional specific things that you'd like to call out in the redefinition of it, if that makes sense? Yeah. Well, we, we agree that it's important to have PMADs diagnosable because we have insurance companies. Sometimes you need a diagnosis to get a longer leave from work. Sometimes having a diagnosis is helpful even within a family to have a partner understand that there's something quote unquote legitimate going on with this new mom. A lot of that though is cast under the shadow of patriarchy from our perspective that because motherhood isn't matrescence in particular isn't respected and understood in our culture as the most formative moment in humanity where moms are really creating the contributors for our society going forward. And so this, this period of time is as, as vulnerable and as critically important as one can be. So that, that time period needs to be protected, but that isn't understood. So our redefinition is is kind of a play on it's, it's patriarchy during matrescence and the disease of shame. That's kind of how we see what most of our clients show up with. Not not something that you'd want to like look up in the DSM and find exactly what is wrong with them, but more like, oh, you too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're also living in the same culture and you're also going through matrescence. And when in the background, one of the slides we use in our mother-centric training shows some stats that I think it's one in four women is the victim of sexual assault. One in six has been raped. When you think about the prevalence of violence against women and the collective burdens we carry from centuries, oppression and abuse, that's coming into the picture too. That's part of what each woman shows up with when she gets pregnant, gives birth, and then begins attaching to a new baby It's a long legacy of patriarchy that we're contending with alongside the sort of structural systemic components of patriarchy. Yeah. And Rebecca, if you could speak to that shame piece as well. Yeah. I think the shame is really what causes the suffering in new moms in particular, those inner critics that just come in and berate her for not not doing things right. I'm making air quotes here. Mm-hmm. And being shooting themselves, mm-hmm. right? Not being able to be the capable, again, air quotes, person that they were before. And that being in this society that really is built on individualism and capitalism and materialism and racism, right? That they didn't have a chance. <laughs> yeah. So how does, I guess in terms of Rebecca, the, the, uh, when I'm hearing you, I'm thinking to the, of like 
what you guys were talking about earlier in terms of internal family systems and, and parts. And this like is, would you, I guess if you can go into a little bit of how internal family systems works specifically right now in terms of shame, and then we can get into a little bit more of the, the perinatal yeah. other stuff. Well, internal family systems, again, really believes that all parts are welcome. And so there's never a part that is relegated in some way. We're always kind of moving closer, moving towards the parts, even the ones that that feel really uh, challenging. And shame is one of those exiles, like Jessica said. And so it's important to, as a therapist also, for the therapists who are listening out there, to move closer to their own shame as well, do their own inner work so that they can then be open to being okay with with moving towards that with their clients. Jessica, do you want to add to that? Yeah, I would I would say that we look a lot with the mother-centric approach at the shame system or the shame sort of network inside of each of us, which consists of in simple terms, a part that does the shaming. So like an inner critic that wags its finger and says, not good enough. Try harder. Don't screw that up. And then on the receiving end, there's a shamed part that's absorbing that message that's resonating with it, that has been holding shame to begin with. So the two of them kind of work together and create, you know, the intention is to keep you from being shamed when an inner critic comes up. So new moms who are perfectionistic, which as uh, most therapists who work in this field know, that is so common, Mm -hmm. really striving to hit every freaking mark and berating themselves or their inner critics are going hog wild inside, noticing where they don't measure up, feeling like someone else would be a better mom to this baby, that the baby would be better off without them. Those are all these sort of inner critic messages that are just really dousing fuel into old shame, old shame pockets. So we want to help the shame. And how does IFS address and help shame? It's got to get past the protectors first. So you have to befriend protectors. And that's that's its own phase of really validating and understanding the inner critics and the ways in which our systems are designed to guard against and defend that tender, vulnerable shame that's inside. Once we can get past protectors, which takes some time and trust, we get into the that inner pocket of shame. And those are just these really tender, oh, vulnerable places inside that need to be compassionately held and loved. And most of all, if we if we can make it there, unburdened. Unburdening is it's a specific kind of process in IFS where you can really ask apart what false beliefs did you take on and where are they in your body? And if you if you could let them go right now, would you like to? And how would you like to release those beliefs? And it's a really physical, often physical, emotional sort of process of, for example, finding residue in your bones of feeling like you were never wanted. And then the person, the part will come up with its own vision, its own plan for how to let that go. I want to release that into the air and have the clouds sweep it away off into the ethers where it becomes the dust of all creation. Okay, let that happen. And you really support your client in having that unburdening. It sounds really woo-woo, but as someone who did a bunch of time as a therapist without IFS and has now done five years or so 
as a therapist with IFS, it's unbelievably powerful to be able to get to the root and clear out those those shame pockets. And people are not the same afterward. They walk with so much more space in their hearts, so much more capacity to be compassionate with themselves and their children and their partners. So that's what we're looking for is, is really healing on that level, having that in mind. And if, again, if medication, if a diagnosis and medication is what's needed to help a mom make it through the month, the week, this particular chapter, thank God we have that. We're not in any way saying it's one or the other, but I think what's important to me and Rebecca and why we created this is this mother-centric approach is because we want to have that bigger picture that that's not the stopping place, handing a mom a pill and saying, you'll get over this depression, take this. And everybody kind of wiping their brow and saying, well, thank God she'll, she'll be better soon. It's looking at the whole system of what's holding her in this framework that doesn't work fundamentally, that patriarchal kind of every man for himself perspective. And then understanding matrescence, what do new moms actually need? What are they experiencing? And then using that that IFS approach to work with whatever's dredged up for her in this process of her perinatal portal being wide open and all of her early attachment material rushing in. So that's it in a nutshell. It's not much of a nutshell. <laughs> There's a lot in that nut uh, <laughs> nutshell. Uh, yeah, it's really yeah. I mean, I'm thinking for 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 people who are like therapists will be able to follow along pretty well. And for for people who are maybe new to therapy or hearing this a particular approach, I, I'm glad you mentioned kind of it sounds woo woo, but it's not because I, I think in some way I'm seeing a lot of therapists move towards even if it's not doing internal family systems specifically. There I hear more people talking about parts mm-hmm. and part parts is parts of the the self, as you you said. But I do I do think it it is really, really powerful to, to get into that perspective and get, give those hurt parts of voice. If they're ready to give their voice, it's, it's really, really powerful. Yeah. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. 
When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play, and we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask-Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. I just throw one other thought in. I know I'm being verbose, but talk therapy and understanding in a logical way, okay, you're having these depressed feelings because X, Y, and Z happened and your hormones are like this. All of that knowledge really is in your frontal cortex. And it's it's your thinky stuff that's not connected particularly at all to your trauma or your deep emotionality or your early life experience that happened when you were pre-verbal, which is all down here. I'm gesturing toward like the lower part of the brain. So when we're working with that dense emotional trauma material, we can't really talk about it and hope that the talking alone is going to heal things. It's helpful to understand structurally what's going on with a person. But if you want to heal, you have to go woo-woo a little bit because it's going to be less verbal. It's not going to make sense. It's felt in the body. It's emotional. So you got to go where the where the stuff is and it is in that woo-woo territory. Yeah. I, I want to add to that just that we we are developed sort of this two-track method that we're calling it, right? That is addressing sort of the symptoms and the shame. So all those sort of practical things that that people come into therapy with, like, I'm not sleeping, I'm not eating, I'm not sleeping when my baby is sleeping, I'm having intrusive thoughts, like all that kind of stuff. We want to address those things in a practical way, but at the same time, always keeping in mind all the the deeper stuff that's sitting in the person's cells and and there are other th- modalities right of therapy that do things that get into that midbrain like brain spotting i love emdr does that somatic experiencing right all of those modalities that really address the trauma from a cel- cellular level but we have to be doing both and i think internal family systems the magic is that it actually is a great marriage of that naturally, because we can talk to protectors and use some of that frontal cortex stuff. And at the same time, getting layer by layer, layer a little bit deeper. And eventually we're into that subcortical material. And that's really where the healing is, whether it's a little T trauma or a big T big thing that happened to you. So that's really why I love IFS. And I also think IFS blends really well with other modalities like brain spotting. And sometimes you're going to do CBT with a part in a way, right? That's what it is. Their beliefs. CBT for parts. (laughs) (laughs) So in terms of then the, 
what is a mother centric? If you can, I guess, define that. What is mother centric? Yeah. Um, you've been talking about the approach and what you're saying, but yeah, if, if somebody is, I guess, a, specifically a therapist listening and they're interested in mm-hmm. um, l- learning more about this, what's the, the I guess, the headline? Sure. Yeah, the, the high level is a mother centric therapist is really well informed about matrescence and patriarchy and how patriarchy is influencing matrescence. The therapist also has a real self-awareness of the client's inner system. They're curious, I should say, about the client's inner system in a really deep way, but they're also really curious about their own system. So we're really advocating for therapists to do their own inner work. That's, I think... Honestly, I think number one, really for any modality. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You can only take a client as far as you've gone yourself, right? It doesn't mean that you have to experience everything that they've experienced, Mm -hmm. but we do have to be curious about what's going on inside of us. And then the third thing is what I talked about before with the addressing symptoms and shame at the same time, using that two track kind of line of thinking that we're always addressing what it is the client is coming in with right now, because that's why they showed up at your doorstep. And then also just keeping in mind that there's always, always something deeper going on that needs some real healing. And I'll just toss in quickly that our culture is very baby centric. So we created this mother centric approach to really contrast against that. It's not so much, at least when people come sit on our couch, we're going to be focusing on mom, not on baby versus moms who get dumped after that one six-week postpartum visit and kind of never seen again. And baby goes constantly to the pediatrician and everything gets really channeled into baby's health and development. We're interested in mom's health and development. We care about the baby too, but we know baby's kind of being taken care of. So it's mom. Right. Well, and the baby is, if the mom is feeling good and and well and healthy, she's going to be a better mom to her baby and the baby is the next generation, right? So it, it only makes sense that we really focus on mom's well-being. Yeah, for sure. You are are doing some some training, or you're you're developing some stuff that that therapists can get involved with. Can you say a little bit about that? Yeah, we just actually on Friday last week did our first mother centric approach training. We had about twenty some odd people, mostly therapists, a doula, and a lactation consultant, and a midwife. We're all there too, which was really fun. And we're doing another one of those in December. Um, And then we also are doing a specific training, which we presented at the PSI conference actually called perinatal perfectionism using IFS to heal inner critics. Mm -hmm. So it's a very sort of specific, shorter training just about inner critics. And then we're also writing a book about this mother-centric approach. And you're the first person we're telling that to out loud. So I'm <laughs> having a part that's coming up that's like, oh my gosh, I just put it out into the world. And now we actually have to do it. Uh, <laughs> but the uh, yeah. truth is it's really written already with all the work we've been doing on our trainings. Yeah. It, we just have to organize it in a way that a publisher would, would want it. Mm-hmm. No, Maybe. Great. I'll add that. So Rebecca and I run Family Tree Wellness in Campbell, California. We have currently 12 therapists working with us and we are a training site as well as being facility for clients. 
So we've got six associates right now who we're training and we we train all of our therapists in the mother-centric approach so that everyone who works here is specializing in reproductive mental health and using IFS to work with inner critics and shame and knowing about patriarchy and matrescence. And that's our, that's our bag. Uh, yes, that's, <laughs> that's very fantastic. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. And I know from what you said before that the, the clients that you've worked with through this, with this approach, it sounds like have had really deep and lasting positive change. I think so. And I would also say that I'm one of those people, not a Mm -hmm. client of Family Tree Wellness, obviously, but yeah, I can attest to it from my own personal inner work that my life has been drastically changed because of it. So I'm a believer. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. That's beautiful. I love that. I I love therapy and healing. It's like the coolest thing ever. Yay. <laughs> Let's just have a therapy love fest. I know. I know. I just wish everyone would go to therapy and feel better. We're getting there. We're getting, it's getting better, right? I think unfortunately the pandemic okay. silver lining did help with did. increasing who comes for therapy, who sees the problems of that need, that need and deserve support. I want to thank you also, Kat, because I think your podcast I've been listening to for a long time now. And I think what you're doing by having these conversations is really elevating the conversation and putting it out into the world in a way that is compassionate and caring. And I just really appreciate you for that. Thank you. Ditto. And you're a great interviewer. I really appreciate your (laughs) questions and how you set things up. Thank you so much. Agreed. Well, I I thank you so much for being with us. And I I really hope that the therapists who want to learn more can find you and and we'll let them know how to do that. So thank you for your time. What a gift. Thanks, Thanks, Kat. So that is a lot to think about. And I know for those of you who aren't quite used to therapy talk or, or, or theory talk, then this might be new to you. And it could be worthwhile to listen to the episode another time to kind of understand the concepts and have it soak in for you. Now, as I said in the episode, there are quite a few therapists who are using some parts, no pun intended, of internal family systems in their work. And there can be some really significant healing in understanding those parts of us that are holding shame and experiencing that, especially as it relates to the transition into motherhood. If you would like to get connected with Rebecca and Jessica, you can find them on Facebook at Family Tree Well, Instagram at Family Tree Wellness, and go to their website, familytreewellness.org. Thank you all so much for being with us. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at momandmind.com. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Bree. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Bree, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, 
we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows.